This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 22. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing Star Trek, the motion picture. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So just so you know, a little programming note, in the middle of this uh, podcast episode, we're going to take about five minutes where we're just going to stare at the screen and there'll be some music. So... If you're okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, I think we'll release the special edition of the podcast where that doesn't happen. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We'll yeah, there we go. There. I just little, thought we'd maybe get into this uh, this movie a little bit and uh, let the uh, listener ex- experience some of that. Well, uh, at least at least the visuals in Star Trek The Motion Picture were a lot more interesting than just us staring at each other over Skype for five minutes. Th- this oh, is boy, true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's start off with a little bit about sort of how we got from the original series to this movie. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I want to talk about the movie itself, too. But uh, the movie came out in December 7th, 1979, uh, mm. a date that will live in infamy. And uh, it was... <laughs> about over 10 years since the original series ended. Mm-hmm. And in that time period, a lot happened. Yeah. Um, Especially was- syndication. That yes. was Star mm-hmm. Trek went to new levels of success in the syndication market. There was sort of a revival with the animated series, but obviously that was not something that uh, would ultimately satisfy the fans. They wanted to see the, the, the live action uh, Star Trek back and eventually they were able to get this uh, movie thing going. Right. And in between, there was uh, an effort to uh, have another Star mm-hmm. Trek series, mm-hmm. uh, which is called Star Trek Phase Two. Right. Um, that, which got very close to actual actually producing a right, pilot. Right. Never, and, and, and they were going to launch it with a TV network, which then right. didn't end up happening at the time. Right. Right. And then There's, which is which is something that kind of happens later on with Voyager. Right. right. Interesting. Um, also, we had the space shuttle being named Enterprise. That was a kind of demonstration yep. of fan muscle. Right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, that was where the the, uh, the there was the a space shuttle Enterprise that was a, a non space going prototype. It was. It was. It was you know. It was like the uh, the trainer, the, the test platform, so that right. they could test a lot of things like the uh, non powered landing and things like that. 
Right, exactly. And but uh, they had, but NASA had a competition, as I recall, uh, that to name this first space shuttle, and the yeah. fan results was so overwhelming, you know, that it would become the Enterprise. Right. Even though they, a lot of people at NASA didn't really like that. Right. <laughs> well, it could have been worse. It could have been done in the age of the internet, and they would have named it Shuttle McShuttleface. Uh, I was just going to mention. I was just going to mention Bodie McBoatface. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Look, look, the, look up Bodie McBoatface on Google. Yep. You'll you'll be entertained. I well, just think I, the people who it was a research vessel had a naming competition, and that's what the internet came up with, which I think is great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and they, they should have just gone with it, but they right. didn't. Um, they gave it a more dignified name, but they did yeah. at least name like a probe uh, that the, the research vessel has, <laughs> Bodie McBoatface. Well, and, right. You know, to be fair to, to NASA, too, where they might not have liked it being named the Enterprise, but they did make a big deal out of it. I mean, there's yes. there's footage you can go and watch today where, you know, many of the cast of the, the original series were at the announcement and the unveiling of this new space shuttle. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so, I mean, it was it, they did make a big deal out of it, at least. Yeah. So. Um, so so then we got this movie. Yes. And so now we have the movie and uh, we, we have. Also, also, we should mention influenced by Star Wars because Star Wars right. had come out in 1977 mm -hmm. and suddenly sci-fi was the thing. And exactly. um, everybody wanted to have their own blockbuster sci-fi movie. And, hey, we've got this property laying around here. We at Paramount. Exactly. Why should we leave money on the table? Let, let's, right. let's blow blow it off, you know, dust it off and let's see what we can do with it. Star Trek fans have Star Wars fans to thank. I mean, mm -hmm. that, frankly, I mean, and let's be honest, <laughs> there's a lot of cross pollination here. I yeah. mean, a lot, there are a lot of Star oh, Trek yeah. fans who are Star Wars fans. I, I'm among them. Uh, Absolutely. But, same here. But, uh, you know, we have to thank Star Wars for, for, for making sci-fi respectable. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and now we've us... done that and let's never speak of it again. <laughs> 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 so uh, first I want to talk about the music that we start with. Yes. Um, we we yeah. get we, – so the, the, uh, the um, theme music that we get is not quite the TV show theme music, although uh, it will the be. theme – Right. The theme mm -hmm. comes out a bit. Yep. But what we get is what turns out to be Star Trek mo Star Trek music, essentially, is based on mm -hmm. this theme that we get uh, from this movie for until today, even, except yeah, for right. let's not speak of the Enterprise theme anymore. But <laughs> except for that. Yeah, it's uh, the famous trumpet one. It's not the woo from the yeah. original series. It's right. the trumpet fanfare from Next Generation. And this is right. it, it's actually called Enterprise. You look at the, the soundtrack, yeah. it's actually called Enterprise. And the reason they do that is because we first encounter it when we're getting a visual external tour of right. the Enterprise that goes on for at least five minutes, depending on which version you're watching. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh Jerry Goldsmith is the um the, uh, the, the composer composer thank you yeah the music guy it, was the word coming in my head <laughs> you know and, and, and for those who might not remember this this uh this particular theme this is the theme that was then used for next generation that's what right. i think most people know it better as yeah is next generation theme not the original the motion picture theme right although the there are elements of the theme which next gen doesn't use but stick with 
um, well, the Star they didn't Trek want movies. Fi- they didn't want five minutes opening credits in Next Gen. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, but, but there there are thematic elements that are that Correct. are uniquely yeah. uh, the original series movies. Um, mm-hmm. One of the one another bit of music, and, and this kind of leads into the next thing we'll talk about. But another bit of music is the Klingon theme, which is very clearly based on uh, Gustav Holst's The Planets. I was uh, right. Specifically, Jaws. Well, it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's um, Mars is one of the. So he does this. Uh, uh, Holst has this whole series of of the compositions planets. for classic music for the planets and dedicated to each of the you know Venus and. Mars is very martial, very obviously very you know militaristic, and that's the theme that we get for Klingons. That if it's based on, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's very. If you listen to them both, you hear it, and uh, and that's of course, the Klingon of course, the irony music of, we're going to uh, get. You know, the, another name for Mars is Vulcan, <laughs> right? You right. know, in a, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, yes, it's a little confusing there. Yeah, yeah. so we'll but, stick uh, with we'll stick with Mars on that. But uh, well, and, you know, you know, talk about music too. The the original Courage theme does show up at times. Yeah. But you know, and I'm not a music expert. I, I never studied much more than just basic music. But it to my ear, it sounded like it was almost different key, like a minor key or something. It wasn't exactly the same key as it is in the opening credits for the original series. Hmm. Like they and they would use it in. Different, almost, you know, more perilous situations, you know, as the ship, you know, as the Enterprise is going into the enemy ship, you know, that that that's where they would use it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. Yeah. Like the situations that that feel classically Star Trek. I think that's sort of the yep. idea is, is this is a Star Trek moment. Uh, exactly. You know, that, that, that idea. Which, uh, is what, the, which is what cinematic music is there to tell you. What exactly. Kind of, right. What kind of moment we're having. Now, when you all watched it. Uh, the, again, for for this recording, did was there a, a moment in the beginning where it was just black screen and music? Yes, yeah, yes. I, there okay. is. There's this like I, three I minutes it, exactly. I have it in my notes that there's this bizarre long dark <laughs> opening, and we don't get our first image for three minutes and twenty seconds. Right. Apparently, yeah. this was a practice commonly used for quote unquote no, the air quotes epic movies, um, mm. and so this is. Ilea's theme, which is sort of the love theme for right. the, the movie, and uh, so it's it's kind of funny that it's. Um, I guess they also used it. One of the this was one of uh, the last Hollywood movies to do this, where they have huh. this this moment in the theater where you have this music playing before the, anything starts, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently Disney's The Black Hole also did this. It was, yeah. it was huh. one of the last was, two movies that did this. this. Was- before they discovered you could show 30 minutes of commercials before the exactly. start of the movie. <laughs> right, exactly. With no fast forward. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the the other big thing. Uh, the, the pajamas they're all wearing? Uh, well, actually, that's that's the third big thing. The <laughs> yeah. second big thing, the uh, the head ridge in the room, is the ah. the Klingon redesign. So yeah, this was right. a big deal. We the because fir- the first one of the first things we see in this is Klingons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You see the Klingon battlecruiser. It's clearly Klingon battlecruiser, and then we see these aliens with these weird bumpy heads, and we're like, and I remember at the time going, "Who are these guys? <laughs> like that's a Klingon mm-hmm, ship. Exactly. What are they doing in Klingon ships?" And they're speaking, <laughs> and they're not speaking English. They're not speaking English. They're yeah. speaking another language, uh, and this was a big deal. I mean, 
fans kind of freaked out a little bit about this. They were there was some serious division among fans over uh, you know, the redesign of the Klingons. Right. Um, and there were explanations like maybe these are the northern Klingons and the ones we'd seen previously are the southern Klingons. <laughs> or maybe they're from a different planet in the Klingon Empire. Maybe there's been a coup and these are the new guys in power. Um, yeah. All kinds of explanations got offered. But ultimately, the fans accepted this. Um, I think because it fundamentally was an upgrade. And, yeah, you know... Right. It, to quote the MST3K mantra, it's just a show. I should really just relax. We we have on the original show, they had a tiny budget. Now they've got a bigger budget. They're trying to yep. do something better for us. And it yes. worked, unlike with Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's actually that, that kind of leads to one thing I want to talk about. It. It's, it's interesting to look at the take on continuity looking back at the movie. Right. You know, what, what it would have been like then. It was still established in continuity. But now with the whole controversy with Discovery and everything, uh, you know, the upset of how the ships look and uh, the technology within the ships and the look of the Klingons and everything. And then to look back at this movie where they kind of did the same thing. Yes. The looks of the ships changed. The technology inside the ships changed. The look of the Klingons changed. The uniforms became very very ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. the, 70s. <laughs> the, the the cast hated the pajamas and they required like help getting into them and stuff because they were sewn into them right, so yeah. like if you needed to go to the bathroom you had to be unsewn <laughs> and they demanded if we go forward we have new uniforms which they right. then did um yeah. also the the uniforms have these weird little belly pouch devices And they never explain their function on screen. Um, In the novel, which is credited to Gene Roddenberry, although I'm sure he had a ghostwriter, their their function is explained as like their recording devices monitoring like your your life signs and also what's going on around you, apparently. So kind of like the the next generation com badge without the actual communication aspect. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And that big that was, on your stomach. Yeah. The yeah. com badge became a, a Fitbit, essentially. Exactly. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, they, they talk into their wrist a lot in this uh, episode, in this movie. Yeah. Um, but by the way, you mentioned um, the Klingon language and yep. this is its first appearance up to now. It's all been handled by Universal Translator. Um, they went to a linguist named Mark Ockren to mm-hmm. design the Klingon language. And he did something very interesting um, there. Uh, this is a treat for me because I'm 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 a linguist uh, as an amateur linguist. I study right. and linguistics doesn't just mean learning languages. It means studying the phenomenon of language. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that has been noted is that human languages tend to gr- tend to have certain overall grammatical structures. Mm-hmm. English is what's called a subject verb op- object language or SVO right. language. That means our in an in- typical English sentence, the subject comes first, then the verb, then the object if there is an object. So like right. Bob hit Bill. You know, mm-hmm. Bob's the subject, hits the verb, Bill is the object of the hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, other languages have other structures. Um, but and there's like 24 possible combinations, but right. overwhelmingly 
only a few of them get used. It's like our brains are wired to use right. certain structures. And so and, and there's like a couple of the structures that are virtually ignored in human language. There's only a few debatable languages that maybe use them. And so what Mark Ockren did was say, let's be alien. Let's use let's make Klingon have a non-human grammatical structure. That's mm. one of the ones we don't use. Right. Uh, and and he really kind of creates a a genre in a sense. I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien famously he he was a, he lo- he was a philologist. He loved language, mm-hmm. uh, and he he created his Elvish and Dwarvish and, and various other languages used in his works. Um, but Mark o- Mark Ockren was sort of pioneered this for the visual uh, creative uh, art art forms of movies and TV. Right. And now this is a somewhat. I don't know. Common is the word, but you see this all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, Game of Thrones has several of these constructed languages, which are in, in uh, Avatar. The movie has the Navi language that have enough uh, substance to them that they can become actual conversational yeah. languages. Well, mm-hmm. in, in Klingon, right. you can go. You can go to Duolingo online and study Klingon. You can yep. learn the Klingon language as as well as one of the uh, the Westworld languages, which I forget starts mm-hmm. with the. Uh, also, also well. Land of the Lost has the Pakuni language, which is actually <laughs> a lot easier than Klingon. <laughs> so yeah, the, so the language is very interesting. And uh, yeah, there's something even online called the Lang- Klingon Language Institute you could find. So let's get into the story itself. So we've got uh, the this this big giant space cloud that's traveling through space. The Klingons, being Klingons, decide that it's a threat and they attack it and get yeah. you know vaporized, vaporized. Um, then uh, the cloud approaches a, a Starfleet communications hub um, that gets vaporized, uh, w- w- which some things happen in between, but just, you know, kind of, and, and it's headed on a direct course for Earth because in the movies, there's always a threat headed directly for Earth. That's just how it is. Uh, and it's only it's, a week away or five days away or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, I like that they have a communications array. In in this, because often, you know, we don't get the technology just seems to work magically and we don't get a sense of what underlies it. But here we get to see some infrastructure and that's nice. Yes. Uh, And also, once again, the Enterprise is the only ship in range of Earth. Yes. Yes. It's a a trope that appears often in the movies. It's 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 a dumb trope because Starfleet is dumb. It's just I'm sorry. It's it's dumb. Well, to pull pull off a YouTube video I watched recently. You know, this is the headquarters of the Federation. This is the headquarters of Starfleet. It's supposedly the the most important planet in the entire Federation. And there's one ship that's still in space dock that can defend it. (laughs) Yeah, that's ridiculous. Now, it's not ridiculous when they're on the outer fringes of Federation space and they're the only ship in range. Mm -hmm. That's like if you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you may be the only aircraft carrier in range of some trouble spot. Um, But Earth, I mean, come on, that's like saying we don't have anybody else docked around the continental United States we could send. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We have no ships in uh, Newport, Virginia to defend us. Yeah. Yeah. So and at the start of this, so the you know at after the end of the five year mission, um, the crew, some of the crew scattered, moved on to other assignments. Some mm-hmm. stayed with the Enterprise, which went in for refit. 
Yeah, and they Spock, also they also really got in touch with their inner 1960s selves because Spock comes back with long hair and McCoy <laughs> comes back with a long beard. So they've really gotten in touch with their inner hippies. Uh, McCoy retired and Spock went back to Vulcan to uh, go through something called the Kolinar, which we've never heard of before, but is apparently a uh, Vulcan uh, ritual in which they purge all emotions. So as we've mm-hmm. established, Vulcans have emotion, but they keep it suppressed and they don't express it, preferring to use logic uh, instead of emotional responses. Uh, but there are some Vulcans who want to purge all emotion and become emotionless. Um, and so Spock is going through this and he's about to graduate. He's at, actually at his looks like an ordination ceremony. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. just as he's going to get this this ne- new necklace that, that signifies his, his status, um, he stops because he senses V'ger call, yeah, you know, he, calling he, up to him. He, he stops the ceremony. He like puts his hand up and keeps the Vulcan matriarch from giving it to him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all that this Vulcan matriarch has purged emotions, she looks awfully condescending when she tells Spock that V'ger is calling us human blood. Uh, I, I'm not sure she's actually purged all emotion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although con- maybe condescension, uh, Vulcans don't recognize condescension as an emotion. Uh, <laughs> well, it is an action, but it's based on emotion. And, <laughs> yep, but I, th- I think in Deep Space Nine, do they even at one point refer to Vulcan hypocrisy regarding their emotions? Because uh, they might have. Yeah. 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 I, I don't recall, but it seems like I'm not, so. that's that's also not sure that either. Familiar. It's either that or Vulcan arrogance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and meanwhile, so Kirk, for his part, decided to take a promotion and become an admiral, youngest admiral in Starfleet again. He's the the chief of operations, which is not the guy in charge of Starfleet, but uh, apparently uh, it's uh, some general staff roles, mm-hmm. shall we say. Um, and yet, when when the opportunity, he apparently has some uh, buyer's remorse. And when the opportunity comes up to face down a, a, an emergency, he decides, I'm going to take back Enterprise and do this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, this, it's, so this is an interesting, we've created some dramatic tension here. Uh, right. And, and that creates then conflict because Enterprise has a captain who yes. is uh, Decker. Captain, yep. yeah, yeah. Son Decker. of Commodore Decker. Yeah, Commodore Matt Decker, which is not established in the movie itself. But he is uh, but elsewhere. But is elsewhere in the novelization and in other places. Uh, Matt Decker was the captain who uh, who rode hit the the shuttle into the giant space cornucopia that was eating planets. Yeah, in the Doomsday Machine. Yes, the Doomsday Machine. Uh, so Kirk beams up to the Enterprise. Scotty takes him on a long. Oh, we get the five minute plus, depending on the version you're watching, visual tour of the outside <laughs> of the Enterprise in dry dock. <laughs> First, and actually, it's been pointed out, even though in the original version of the movie, it's just way too long. um, It we do actually need a lengthy visual tour of the Enterprise in the movie um, because this was the first time we'd seen it in new footage in over ten years. Uh, they've upgraded it. We need time to say hello to the beloved ship, to bond with it emotionally, given that it's different. And also it sets us up seeing the majestic, huge size of this thing yes, sets right. us up for the even more majestic, huger sizes of things that we're going to be seeing later in the movie. To well, give us a proper sense of scale, because right, right. once they get into the cloud and the alien spaceship that is V'ger, we see the Enterprise, and at that point, it's tiny. And yeah. this is the necessary prequel to make that meaningful. 
and it's it's also you know worth pointing out that in the ten plus years and with the movie budget that they have that the ability to do these outside EVA special effects and shots is just, it it's light years, uh, pun intended again, or generations <laughs> ahead of where they were. I mean, they, the, they, part of it is they're doing it because they can't because, right. wow, For this the first looks cool. Time. Right. We have they, the money to do this. Let's do it. Yes. And, and, you know, as a fan of the technology, as much as of the, the, you know, the, the stories, you know, as a kid, I loved seeing the Enterprise. I mean, it might have still been a little long, this love, loving mm -hmm. tour, uh, but still. And, and and by the way, we should be fair to the director, Robert Wise, who is a very competent director. I mean, he's he's a really oh, yeah. skilled artist in, in film. Um, <clears throat> but the the this film was plagued by so many problems. It went, really went off the rails. And um, and the it came together so late in the game, including because of the, all the visual effects they were using, that he literally took a fresh print, what's called a wet print, from yeah. the West Coast and flew it, you know, under his arm on the plane to the premiere mm -hmm. in Washington and wow. had no time for uh, for editing. So essentially, we're watching what's basically a rough cut of the film. <laughs> Hmm, when it right. was first released in theaters, he had no time for fine tuning it. And uh, he didn't get that for years and years and years until they finally did a DVD special edition. Yep. And he got to go back in and tighten and polish and things like and that's, that. And that's and that's what I watch. I end up watching the, the director's cut. It was came out in 2000. And it, it really is a much tighter yeah. film. I think I'm going to go back and watch that again because uh, having because I I wanted to see the long version, but uh, but the, but I do want to come back and 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 look at that director's cut and compare. So one of the there, things there are there are scenes that I remember from watching years ago that I didn't see when I rewatched this last night. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's because of that because they they cut a lot out. You know, or not a lot, the, but they cut a bit out. Yeah. Well, one of the things that comes up is is the actors themselves thinking about the the film. Uh, you know as Leonard Nimoy, for instance, said that uh, uh, in 1983, he says he said about it that um, from it's a finely crafted film, but from an actor's point of view, it was frustrating because mm -hmm. we didn't feel like we were getting to play the characters that we enjoyed playing in the way that we knew how to play them, and, right. and that's part that's part of it because you know Spock is now this different you know he's gone through this change he's not the, the Spock right. of the of the of the show of the TV show Kirk is different McCoy is different and it's and I think that's uh, was a little bit wrenching for the for the fans as well. Yeah, the the actors are very disconnected from each other. We don't have the interpersonal character dynamic that we normally do. All the attention is on Viger, the threat in this, which doesn't even get a name for most of the movie. Right. Um, but it's all the attention is riveted on that. The characters don't have time to breathe and interact with each other. And that was one of the big changes in the next movie, Wrath of Khan, where we have much more of the established right. character dynamic. And, and, you know, to, and to be fair, you know, to keep it within the story, you'd almost expect that they had separated for a number of years. You know, one, one source I said it was only three years. Yeah. Two or three source, years. Yeah. You know, um, and so, they had to almost kind of relearn each other again because they'd been away for a few years. You know, right. they had gone their separate directions. So you could kind of understand that. But that being said, it did kind of weaken the movie a little bit. Well, another thing that Nimoy said uh, much later in 2012, so very recently, uh, in fact, is that 
they were kind of going for like uh, Robert Wise, Gene Roddenberry. He thinks that they were trying to go for a 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of thing like yes. Kubrick oh, yeah. had done. Oh, um, yes. So a cold, cool, we're out here in space and it's kind of quiet and things move very slowly sort well, of feel. You definitely see that during the, the rocket pack scene. That that very much was 2001 yes. influenced. Yeah. Yes. Well, and all all that traveling through V'ger is, you know, effectively a ripoff of the end of a 2001 where it's right. this huge outer space psychedelic experience. Yeah. I, I have to make a confession. I fell asleep at one point while watching that. <laughs> 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 I mean, just like, you know, it's, it's, it was familiar to me and so not, not new and therefore I kind of fell asleep. Anyway, uh, so that's an interesting aspect of, of the way this movie turned out. Uh, so back to the, to the movie itself. So like the crew, we have the crew back. We have Uhura, we have Sulu, we have Chekhov, we have everybody there. We have, Decker has been added. Uh, we even have Janice Rand as the transporter chief, which is yep. an interesting uh, promotion for her. Mm -hmm. um, we also have like we have a great scene where they're all gathered in the recreation deck uh, right. with Kirk to address them all, the entire crew. Um, and we have a bunch of aliens. As yeah. well as uh, a couple of Native Americans in traditional garb. Yeah, uh, which was uh, neat. Yeah, that was a yeah. very interesting choice. Uh, and and somebody's kid with acne who got to be uh, an extra in this scene. I mean, I know <laughs> <laughs> There's some kid who had some pretty bad acne in the in the crowd scene. Yeah, uh, no, he's just an alien. It's they yeah. could cure acne by the 23rd century. Oh, right, of sure, course. Sure, sure. Must, must have been just the acne aliens. Um, so uh, we we. Uh, have this transporter accident, which was again as a kid when I saw this had a huge impact. Oh, on that me. was freaky! It was scary. It was yeah. scary as a kid. We've um, never seen that before. Right, right. That uh, this Commander Sonak, the Vulcan science officer that Kirk had just talked to. Right uh, now, you know, we we get clearly that he has been turned inside out by the transporter somehow uh, yeah and 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 this character although when they were prepping star trek phase two the character was called zon and because they didn't think they could get leonard nimoy back because yes. uh, he kind of turned his back on everything star trek after a while and they didn't think they could get him back for phase two the tv show so they created a younger vulcan named zon who would kind of bond with Kirk and be taken under Kirk's wing and actually get along really well with McCoy. Um, and that carried over to the film because they didn't think they could get Nimoy for the film. And so they changed it to Sonak here. They'd actually cast a guy as Zahn, but they cast a new guy as, as Sonak. And then it turned out Nimoy was willing to do the film. So they wrote him in. Uh, and they thus had to write Sonak out. <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine that scene, uh, the, the, that uh, episode where they called the guy, the actor who played Sonak into the office? Well, we've got some bad news. <laughs> got yeah. some good news and bad news. Good what? news, you're still in. Bad yeah. news, not as long as you thought. <laughs> yeah. the, the really bad news, we're turning you inside out. <laughs> yeah. and, and the amazing thing is Dr. McCoy then uses the transporter in like the next scene after it's just turned somebody inside out. Him of all people. <laughs> <laughs> right. The one guy who hates the transporter. I love that. So another um, a, a new uh, crew Character. member is Lieutenant Ilea, who is of the heretofore unknown Deltan race, the Deltans. Right. Uh, and they mentioned I thought this... she was from Beta Z. <laughs> maybe not. Or yeah. Delta's Delta. No, no, she, she is Delta. Yeah, yeah but or, I'm just yeah. noting because... Alpha Gamma. 
Yeah. <laughs> she she and I, I'm I'm playing on the Commander uh Troy thing because yes. Riker and Troy's relationship is directly lifted from Decker and Irea's. Right. In yes. fact, Riker even sounds like Decker. Yes, it's very clearly <laughs> a, a, a gloss on that. Except, and, except for she's got a, a oath of celibacy. Yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up. It's a, and so they it's, don't mention anything else about it. It's just this is okay. uh, explanation is in the it's in the novelization. So and Roddenberry's name is on it, so therefore it must be canon, right? Um, is that the Deltons emit uh, pheromones, pheromones that are mm-hmm. so powerful that it causes every uh, human male around them to kind of uh, lose, lose nice. it. Even, even George Takei has the hots for her. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is quite a feat of, of pheromones. Um, so, yeah, it, again, again, it's another one of those Roddenberry things, I think. <laughs> that, <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't put too, spend too much time on it. The actress, Persis Kambata, um, not a famous actress uh, who sh- apparently shaved her head for this role. She, yeah, she, went out, she does not wear a, a a a like a makeup cap or whatever they call it. Bald she, cap. She, that yeah, bald. I'm oh, sorry, a bald cap. She is she is bald. She's got that mm-hmm. head shaved. Yeah, uh, and that I think was she a was, controversial more... decision. A lot of people thought bald lady is not the way to go if you want her to right. be super sexy. Right, but it does give her an exotic feel. Right, um, you know, as an on screen presence. And and you know I I I I don't think it was a bad decision, but a lot of people did. Right, I was gonna say I don't think she was I don't think she was much of an actress. I think she was more of a model at that point. This was right. her first film role, I believe. Yes, yeah, uh, and it's I I like the idea that you kind of pair this you know super super sexy alien thing with something that is is sort of definitively. The opposite of what we think of as sexy woman, which is bald. I mean, we haven't had right. Sinead O'Connor yet at this point, so that's it's sort of a, a, no, that a new thing. Kind of proves the point. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. Gonna, that's not <laughs> the best example. Well, no, what I'm saying is, is that we hadn't got, disproved it, that by, it by hadn't Sinead O'Connor. Been a thing. But, it hadn't been a thing yet. Yeah. Yes, but the idea of like just sort of uh, it 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 plays with your perceptions, so, and that, which which I think Star Trek has always done well, and I, I liked mm-hmm. them doing that. Um, so, uh, we, we, then we get Dr. McCoy gets shanghaied by Kirk back to the, uh, is that a, is that a little known, little used reserve activation clause? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's this great moment where Kirk sort of, he he says, look, you know, he cuts through the, the baloney that, and says, look, I need you McCoy. Uh, because remember, he doesn't have Spock here. He doesn't think he's going to get Spock. And nurse chap, Dr. Chapel isn't cutting it. No, she is not. And uh, <laughs> and he says, there's a thing out there. And Kirk and McCoy has this great line. Why is everything we don't understand always a thing? Yep. <laughs> and because that's such a it's great... a useful placeholder word for things we don't understand. <laughs> but it's such a McCoy, a McCoy phrase, you know, like, hey, let's, you know, we, gotta, we stop depersonalizing everything. Because and... ontologically, it is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, then he, like two minutes later. He's like, I've got to get down to the sick bay. I, I know engineers; they love to change things. Yeah, yep. <laughs> um, so then we we've got we've got some scenes that sort of establish the conflict between Decker and Kirk because Kirk has supplanted Decker, made him first officer, demoted him even uh, temporary ha- field demotion. Yeah, yeah. temporary reduction in rank. Right, uh, where Decker thinks is is probably. He's not getting that center chair back from Kirk. He just knows Kirk. And he's right, because Kirk is not going to give that back. Um, we know it. Maybe Kirk doesn't know it, but the audience knows it. Mm-hmm. Then they have this moment where Kirk's um, 
lack of familiarity with the, the Enterprise as she currently is uh, puts them in danger, and only Decker can save them. Mm-hmm. Belay that phaser order. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, where everybody shakes in slow motion, and it's they're, just really uncomfortable to that, watch. <laughs> that's the one scene, if I was the director, would have stayed on the cutting room floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just can't. The sequence is, is not, doesn't it really it, add. But, but like you said, the only thing it, it points out is the fact that this is, a, although it's a refit, it really it, is a different ship. It's a ship. new ship, yeah. I think I think if they replaced this scene with something that said the same thing, I would have been I, that would have been fine. But yeah, the just it was too again too long, too overly whatever. The slow motion thing didn't work. Yeah. But but they, they I like the, the idea. They could have done it much more effectively when Kirk and Decker get into the turbo lift. Kirk could have just like pressed the wrong button in the turbo lift, almost blown up the ship, and Decker pressed the right button instead. <laughs> Although there is a, a somewhat similar moment where Kirk gets lost and has to ask a, a yeoman where you know where to go, and turns around and Decker's looking at him like, "Yeah, yeah, you don't know the ship." Uh, yeah, exactly. Very, uh, very interesting. So then we get the uh, oh, the long. By the way, it, yeah. thirty-five minute mark is when the ship finally leaves dry dock. <laughs> right, right. We're like a third, a quarter of the way through the movie before we get out of dry dock. Right. Uh, and then we have the wormhole. We get Spock back. Spock is not the same, uh, the same guy we remember, which which is disconcerting. Uh, they encounter the cloud, um, and then we get a ten minute. I timed it ten minute ride through the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just bursts with a couple moments of talking, but still, uh, it's a, it's a very long sequence. Maybe not as long as I thought it was. I thought it was even longer than that, frankly. Mm-hmm. It was ten minutes. Um, <laughs> We yeah. get the sense that the scale of V'ger is massive. Right. And it's really weird and psychedelic. And we get we are people watching people on screen, watching things on screen. Right. Yeah. For <laughs> a huge chunk of this movie. Right. Uh, they get a, a probe comes on board to scan them. Uh, you notice in this. Oh, this it's a fa- it's an effective probe. It's yeah. like lightning. You know, it's kind of like a column of lightning, and it eats uh, Lieutenant Ilea. Yes, it absorbs her, did, essentially digitizes her, which is sort mm-hmm. of a yep. Tron effect. Uh, she's dead. It, uh, so it, let's looked talk pain, about, it looked like yeah. a painful death, too. She's like, yeah. yeah let's exactly. talk about that for, for, a, for a second. Is is Ilea dead at this point? Yes. And what comes back is a, is is something else? Well, it is a it, probe. It says it's a probe. Yep. Bo- yeah, Bo- Bones keeps saying that this is a mechanism. This is not mm-hmm. a person. This is a mechanism. So even when at the end where she exhibits um, that's, that's her memories that were yeah. reproduced in the mechanism. And it kind of explains, it, you know, that reproduced yeah. by the mechanism. So it, it really isn't her, but it's her memories and her feelings from those memories coming right. to the surface. She's, so Phil- she's, she's being influenced by by Ilya's memory patterns, even yep. which are copied into her, even though she is a device. So, so I wanted to get kind of get at it from an ontological or or philosophical standpoint. Mm-hmm. What happens with Decker at the end? Uh, just is kind of jumping ahead. Super creepy because he's merging yeah. with a machine. It's not yeah. Ilya. Yeah, he's, right. He, he is essentially essentially giving up his life. He's dying in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, not not merging with her. Not spending eternity with her. 
Well, I think there's uh, I think there's some hope of his survival, kind of, because they're I mean, at that point in the movie, Spock is talking about by this merger, they're going to maybe be able to explore alternative dimensions that may exist, but cannot be scientifically proved to exist. Right. So there's like by this merger of man and machine. There's right. some hope of survival for Decker in some form. Right. Right. But there's no guarantee he's not just going to be digitized the way Ilea was. And right. furthermore, I mean, he's he's talking to Kirk about as much you as you want the Enterprise, I want this. And it's like, God, that is so creepy, dude. This is the <laughs> this yeah. is this is the manifestation of what killed your girlfriend right. and took her form. This is an electronic pod person, and you want that <laughs> more than anything? It killed your girlfriend. Right. That's that's the what I was trying to get at is like this idea that that Decker has a happy ending. Decker has has a horrific ending in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he's not getting what he thinks he's getting. Yeah, they they, they think you know that through Decker merging with Viger slash Ilea, that you'll have the raw logic of a machine combined with the creativity of a human. Right. You well, know, you've probably said to, a new, to create a new yeah. baby, you know. Yeah. What you've done is created this this super powerful machine that's probably gone insane with grief traveling yeah. through the dimensions. <laughs> I want to see that come back in a future uh, a Star Trek movie, <laughs> The Return of Veecher. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be funny. There's this a moment, time it's personal. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a moment where... Uh, Spock is, is is trying to tell them, you know, with with uh, when they've been trapped inside of Veecher, uh, Decker's like, no, we should fight our way out. And Spock's like, any show of resistance would be futile. And Decker's like, we don't know that. Why are you opposed to trying? And I'm like, uh, because w they would interpret it as a host hostile act and would yeah. vaporize us like everybody else. Like, they didn't even want they didn't even want to raise shields for the risk of setting off a threat. What makes you think that, you know, arming a photon torpedo won't do worse? Right. It's just that the Decker was not a good first officer. And, and, and actually, I think it proves why Kirk was the better the better man for the job, uh, hmm. after all. Uh, we find out that V'ger is the Voyager 6 probe, which doesn't really exist. Um, in the, re in the real world, there were only <sighs> two Voyager probes. Right. Um, but to be uh, fair, this, this movie did come out when those probes were being oh, yes. produced yeah. and launched. So yeah. the, the prospect There's of a Voyager work. 6 was a real thing. In yeah. fact, it was it was in the news. It was in the public consciousness, Voyager. Uh, and so people would have recognized it uh, from, from seeing it on screen. Um, and by, we, by the way, oh, just uh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, there was a, an original series uh, uh, episode called about, I think what it was called, but about the... Uh, a, the Changeling. The Changeling, okay, with a probe called Nomad, which mm -hmm. sort of had the same thing happen to it. It was an Earth probe. That went out, got changed, got super intelligent, came back, and it tried to take over the Enterprise. And it uh, thought Kirk was its creator, whereas yes. V'ger is now searching for a nameless, the creator, right. but that is mankind. Right. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I was going to point this out, too, that essentially Star Trek The Motion Picture is a big screen remake of The Changeling. Right. And and I don't have a problem with doing big screen remakes. It's kind of like what they did to the Klingons. It's like, okay, it's an upgrade. Yes. Um, but the changeling is actually a better episode than this movie is. 
Um, (laughs) So that's a problem. (laughs) Also, notice the second movie, Wrath of Khan, is a sequel to Space Seed. So we have the first two Star Trek movies very directly playing on episodes of the original series. Right. Um, By the way, one illustration of why the Changeling is better than this, the Changeling is like, you know, whatever it is at the time, 45, 50 minutes long. Yes. Um, Well, there's a moment where they've finally gotten to the core part of V'ger, where the Voyager probe itself is, and it's acting up. And uh, Spock has this line about V'ger is a child. He's got this major revelation. Mm -hmm. And McCoy says... Your child is having a tantrum, Mr. Spock. And so this is this is like the comic relief line at what should be virtually right. at the beginning of the dramatic climax. We have 20 minutes left to go in this movie at this point. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's almost half the running time of the changeling. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, th- we find out that V'ger was ended up getting damaged, going through some sort of wormhole, ending up at a planet of the living of living machines, which is either Cybertron or the Borg home planet. I haven't decided yeah. which yet. That's my, my head cannon. Well, <laughs> and I think it was Roddenberry who may have suggested that it may have been the Borg home planet, which right. would r- actually not make any sense because right. if it had been the Borg home planet, they wouldn't have patched it up and sent it on its way. They would have, they would have sent a Borg cube right. to exactly. find out where this thing was from. They would have absorbed its distinctiveness and made it their own and then search, uh, sought out its origin, yep. which yeah. is what it was established. Um, so, and as you said, uh, Spock realizes that for all its pure logic, V'ger is barren. And that's a revelation for Spock because mm-hmm. he had been seeking out pure logic for himself. And he's, he's realizing that, that that is a path that leads to a, a barrenness of life. So right. very interesting uh, uh, self-realization there. Um, and in fact, after this, in, f- in the in the future movies, Spock is much more relaxed. He's much mm-hmm. more uh, willing to to show some emotion. He's still res- a reserved person, but there's so, more emotion. So Leonard Nimoy was much more relaxed too. He initially thought, "I'll come back and do this film, but I want to be killed off." Yes. Um, and he had so much fun doing the film that he he said, "You know, as as." off the rails as it went. He still had so much fun. He said, you know, I might be willing to do more of these. And yeah. and that led to his involvement in the future films. It also doesn't hurt when you back up a truck full of cash. To the, to your house. That doesn't hurt either. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah, exactly. And two directorial credits. Yes, uh, that is actually uh, what I think it was a huge element in him sticking around. Because um, he started directing stuff at, at around this time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um so and then so the, the he, as you said he makes the point Veacher is a child learning evolving searching and needing a parent and so that's why we so, get <laughs> even so we've got an Electra complex going on here too at the ending <laughs> right so so and uh, so I guess what the, what is we're saying that Decker and whatever remains of Ilea are the parents to. Oh, I took it. I well, I would since Ilea at this point is just the human face of Viger. It's mm-hmm. like Decker's the parent, and Ilea is Electra. Well, it, well, once it's a, 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 a it's Ilea's memories and personality. I guess is is what is yeah. would be. I don't know. It's it's weird enough as it is. Um, I one thing I did like was that whole sequence of the Enterprise sort of um, 
bumping up against that hexag the structure of hexagonal mm -hmm. um looks uh, like the giant's causeway in ireland exactly the right. <laughs> finn mccool is standing in the middle uh, waiting for them and, uh, <laughs> but but uh if you don't know who finn mccool is look him up it's it's a lot of fun um the irish have the best myths and uh so the they they walk along. It would have taken forever to walk along these hexagonal structures to the middle. You've got 10 minutes before they blast Earth. Right. But we're walking like what's got to be a couple miles in high heels, by the way. That's as uh, uh, Princess Gambada is walking high heels as she's doing this because apparently they don't want to put a uniform on her. They're, they gave her the, the tiniest of, uh, of, uh, of uh, bathrobes Bath and, yeah. and mm -hmm. high heels to walk in uh, around the ship. Uh, <laughs> and and in her probe form, she's got this little glowing red crystal oval in the middle of, uh, in the middle of, of her clavicle. And um, and that actually was a real problem for her because it, the technology was so primitive at the time. They had to light it. They didn't like have LED lights or anything mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. And so that's a hot light bulb she's got on. Ooh. Yeah. And um and they they had like it connected by wires to a battery pack on her back, but that thing would burn her. Oh, oh wow. boy. <laughs> what people do for their art. Ugh. Yeah. Um so the, one of the things I, I, it kind of came out for me is, is why was Decker so intent on joining with V'ger? Like that whole, as much as you yeah. want Enterprise, I want this. With it's, his relationship is, with Ilya is never really established. Like that's one of the major structural mm -hmm. problems with this movie, among the others. Is, they, is do, like, they do hint at it, but yeah. they don't display it. They We never get any big time romance between them early on in the movie. No. Right. Like he goes from... I am the captain of the Enterprise. I, you know, this is my ship too. Well, I can't have the ship, so I'm going to do this instead. Like it's exactly. just it's, a, it's too quick, he, too much. He's on the rebound from losing the Enterprise. <laughs> yep, <laughs> captain's always married to his ship. This is now just his rebound. He's going to run off with the alien uh, 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 cyborg machine. Yeah. Machine. Um, and so at you know once they've solved the problem, um. Which you know the the MacGuffin is 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 dealt with. Um, Viger evolves and goes to another plane of existence. And Kirk, uh, you know, again we've got that moment where they're back on the Enterprise bridge, and Kirk says, "I think we gave it the ability to create its own sense of purpose out of our own human weaknesses and the drive that compels us to overcome them." And that's sort of the theme for this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, each of the characters have, especially Kirk, uh, let's just say, has has done the same thing he's out of his own human weakness his his desire to sit in that chair and it, he's he's overcome it to to really right. do a service to to humanity or to the federation whatever mm -hmm. i think that's the theme we're supposed to take from it yeah so so um and then we end with you know the them going off on their second uh what, what five fans year mission. Have, have established as a second five-year mission before the wrath of Khan. so so, uh, any 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 final notes on this uh, movie? I just yet? I just have some little ones. Um, just in terms of like small things that I liked in the movie. In the opening sequence, before Kirk shows up, when we're getting shots of San Francisco in the twenty third century, um, we have a shot of the Golden Gate Bridge, which is now like a turbo bridge. It's <laughs> yeah. like got one of those hamster habit trail tubes over it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that. Uh, when we finally get onto the bridge after the kind of 
elegiac tour of the outside of the Enterprise, all of a sudden the bridge is chaos and you got all these mm -hmm. people talking over each other and they're trying to wire stuff up. And because we're told the Enterprise has been in refit for 18 months. Um, and there's a guy doing something to the ceiling. I assume he's installing lights or something, uh, <laughs> but he's floating. He's <laughs> floating on this little circular foot pad that's floating yeah. above the ground. And I like that. I want one. Yeah, exactly. Um, I liked how we have uh, security guards in this who are wearing this kind of padded body armor that makes them look like moops ball players from the Legion of Superheroes. Yes. Um, it's nice to see if you're going to you might want more than a, just a red shirt to protect you. Exactly. You know, that makes sense. Um, Kirk and I kind of don't like this as much, but Kirk's captain's chair has these fold in armrests that are movable. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and they later use that uh, a little bit more in other movies. Um, and then Kirk has a really great line at one point talking about V'ger before they know that V'ger is like a single thing. They think there may be a crew or something on V'ger. And um, at one point, uh, they're talking about where they've put the Enterprise. And, and Kirk says, now that they've got us just where they want us. Yeah, <laughs> right. Which is a reversal of the normal line of yep. we've got them just where we want them. Right. Um, yep. And then they have a kind of unfortunate line where they're talking about the closed orifice and things like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, we know exactly what that kind of looked like. Um, yeah. Father Corey, yeah, one, any any notes? One one personal note. Um, my first exposure to this movie uh, as a kid wasn't the movie itself. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you remember uh, from Buena Vista Records, which is Disney. It's a it's a Disney recording studio. They had read along books, right. where they're little books, uh, book like twenty four page book and a cassette. Or started out with records, but by the time I got to them, they were cassettes. And I was remembering this as I was watching it. My first exposure of this movie was one of those. I oh. had the Star Trek motion picture read along book and cassette i wish i had it today because it's probably worth some money now if it's in halfway <laughs> yeah. decent shape which i doubt it was by the time me and my brother were done with it right. did, did they use this some of the soundtrack from the movie on the t cassette or did they was it like a fresh read it was a it was as i recall as a fresh read you can actually i found it on youtube and i didn't i was gonna go and look at it i didn't get a chance to they've actually someone has recorded it where they you know took a camera and had it on the book and played the cassette and then you can you know, oh. flip the pages so you can go and look at that today if you search for the uh star trek motion picture read along you can find it oh, but it awesome. was it's just it's kind of one of those i flash it's like oh yeah i remember that so i never <laughs> i knew the story before i actually saw the movie hmm. interesting i think i had the pete's dragon version of that <laughs> i think i might have had that one too <laughs> yeah. actually helen ready in uh, the disney uh, movie um you know, one of the things you said, Jimmy, uh, kind of uh, reminding me that uh, this was the first time we saw Earth in Star Trek after that the cage, the first mm -hmm. pilot. So we saw like uh, a re you know, a, a a fantasy of the Mojave Desert, uh, right? Right. Uh, in that. Well, twenty fourth century Earth because we did see you know, like nineteen sixties Earth in Return to Tomorrow. Right, 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 right. That's that's Ash Woodman. Yes, thank you. Uh, and so they, they see Earth. This is also where it is established that Starfleet headquarters is in San Francisco. Right. Um, we hadn't had that established before. So and that becomes canon going forward. And Starfleet Academy is there as well. That sort of thing. Um, and later movies will establish that the Federation seat of government is in Paris. 
Mm-hmm. I, by the way, I've been to the future site of Starfleet headquarters. I had there was a Morris dancing convention a couple of years ago up in San Francisco, and so I made sure I went to the exact site of uh, of Starfleet headquarters on the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, at the Presidio. Yeah. Oh yes. There's yeah, a, I've, I've been there too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's fun. Uh, although when I went there, they, they've actually. It's been developed a lot since I've been there. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I think, if I recall correctly, Lucasfilm has a has a annex of their studio in the Presidio, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so that's uh, that's what we have to say about Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, what is your overall assessment? We just kind of get that. How do you how do you you feel about this? So, there's famously Star Trek fans say the odd number of movies aren't the, are the bad ones, and the good no- and the even number one movies are the good ones. How do you feel about this movie overall, Jimmy? Um, I would. I remember when it came out. I saw it in the theaters, and I'd been a Star Trek fan from the syndication days, and so I was really looking forward to it. My memory is at the time I liked it, but wow, did it not age well! And I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it got Star Trek you know, back in active production because it gave us better things like the Wrath mm-hmm. of Khan and the search for whales and the <laughs> undiscovered country. Um, but uh, so I'm glad it exists and I'm glad, I'm really glad that Robert Wise had a chance to do what he could all those years later to tone it up. Right. Um, but I think the rule still holds the odd numbered movies are inferior. The even numbered movies are superior. Right. Uh, Father Corey, how do you, what's what's your uh, final assessment? I see. I, I think I would agree with, with Jimmy about that. About not saying bad, but inferior. Yeah. Um, again, you know, ha- just recently watching the the director's cut version did improve the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it, it didn't save the movie. The movie is still an inferior movie compared to Wrath of Khan and and yes. the ones the ones following. But it is it 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 did weather better. Because of that director's cut, I will say that. Yeah, although we can all agree that the search for, uh, search for Spock is the worst. I mean, uh, Final Frontier is the worst. Number Final five. Frontier is the worst. The, yep. Cyborg, yes. Um, I, I would say I, I'm, I'm in agree, general agreement. I say there are lots of parts of this movie that I like. Um, there's plenty, as we've discussed, that that could have been improved, um, tightened up. It, it does not. There are large parts of it that do not age well. Um, but but that it's it's sort of a product of its time. But there's still it's still Star Trek, and it's still mm-hmm. a fun romp with the characters that I love, and that's that the, the in in those moments where it's not boring me to sleep. Uh, <laughs> the, it's still I'm still glad it's there, and I'm glad I watched it again. Uh, so so that's that's it that's it from us. Uh, so what did what did you think of Star Trek the Motion Picture? What do you think of what we had to say about it? Um, we want to hear from you. We want to. We want to start putting some feedback from our audience into our future episodes of Star Trek, uh, The Secrets of Star Trek. So um, either go to sqpn.com slash Trek or to the SQPN Facebook page. Find the link to today's show and and leave a comment there. Or um, you can, if you don't uh, have Facebook, you can send us an email to Trek at sqpn.com. You can leave us a a Twitter response uh, at sqpn on, on Twitter. And uh, you can find uh, links to all of our personal social media and our websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. If you can, please go to iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, 
uh, Stitcher. Leave us a review there to help other fans find us and recommend us to your friends, especially your friends who are Star Trek fans. Uh, we really appreciate it. That's how our, our show reaches new people. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, yeah, the, exactly. The pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And you you have a nice preview there of how we feel about it. <laughs> Which will Until, actually make for fun listening because we'll, yes. we'll, we will not be kind. Well, let's be honest, folks. Mm-hmm. The best shows are the ones where we don't really like the the thing that we're reviewing because we have the funniest responses so (laughs) until then jimmy aiken thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of star trek live long and prosper dom and father Corey stika thank you as well thanks dom Uh, once again i'm dom bethanelli thank you for listening to the secrets of star trek and remember capture god features liable to be in for one heck of a disappointment this is Don Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.